purpose. It fulfills God's call on my life to shepherd the flock in the Word in joyful confidence, surrounded with intimacy. This is humble boldness. Well, this Sunday, we're beginning a brand new sermon series, and we're calling Relationship Goals. Do you have goals for your relationships? Maybe you want to have more couple friends with your spouse. Uh, Maybe you want more friendships. Maybe you want deeper friendships. Maybe you want to find, you know, an accountability partner or to know your neighbors better. Well, it's in God's good timing and providence that we are doing this sermon series. I took some time at the end of 2019 to pray about what should I preach on in 2020. And I came with three things. Prayer, the gospel, and relationships. And I've heard from so many of you lately how you are struggling, feeling isolated, bored. Yeah, there's Zoom calls, there's Facebook, there's FaceTime, all these things that we have that are video-based, but it's just not the same as real relationships. You know, you're, you're stuck at home and um, can't be with your friends. And that makes some people very emotional. And so as believers, we want to figure out how do we continue and grow in our relationships even during this COVID-19 era that we are in. And to do that, we're going to look at the book of 1 John. 1 John is this letter that is a letter of assurance. Many have seen this book as a letter with three themes kind of being woven throughout it. And there are all these themes of how do I know if I'm a believer? What assurance do I have? Some people call it kind of the tests of faith. One test being this one of relationships. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love one another? One test being, uh, do you keep the commandments of Jesus? And then number three, do you believe that Jesus is fully God, fully human. Now, this will be a little bit different from other sermon series that we do. We're not going to walk through verse by verse in this whole book. We're just going to look at relationships through the lens of 1 John. Just a little bit about 1 John and this book. Uh, It's written kind of toward the end of the first century, um, about... 85 to 95 AD uh, by the Apostle John, often called the Beloved Disciple. Uh, He wrote the Gospel of John, wrote Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he he, he is older at this point in his life. You can kind of picture him kind of with with a cane, kind of just, I picture him kind of hunched over, almost kind of wobbly, because he keeps saying throughout this whole book, my beloved little children. He just has this affection, this love for the people he is writing to. He's toward the end of his life. 
And one of the purposes that he writes about in 1 John 5, 13 is assurance. He says this, I write these things to you who believe the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We all want to know that, right? We want to know what comes after this life. We want to know, will we go to heaven? What's going to happen? He says, I'm writing this letter to you so that you will know for certain that you have eternal life. And one of those things, one of those tests is our relationships between each other. So we're going to look at the very first seven verses of First John. And I, I called on some friends, uh, the Jackson family. They're actually going to read these verses for us. So watch this video of the Jacksons reading First John 1, 1 to 7. First John chapter 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him, and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us all from sin. So, I said earlier that John was one of the original disciples. He's walking, talking with Jesus, and he wants us to know that for sure. He wants us to know that he, he was there with, with this person, this one that he calls from the beginning, the word of life. He calls him light later on, and he says, I heard him. I, I was able to touch him. I was able to see him. Uh, I walked with others who also did. This is like the best way possible that he could testify or kind of make a, a, a deposition about, I am a reliable witness. I was there with Jesus. And he's saying all of this for a purpose, he says in verse 3. He says, that which you have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that, here's my purpose, he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is going to be our main theme, main idea this morning. Fellowship. What is it? Why is it talked about so much in the Bible? Why should we strive for it? Is, is our friendship, our fellowship with non-believers any different from Christians around us. 
This word comes up four different times in our text. He says, you know, that you may have fellowship with us, verse 3. And then also in verse 3, that our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And then in verse 6 and 7, he says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we're in darkness, we, we lie. And then if we walk in the light, as in verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. So what, what does this word fellowship really mean? This is not a new word um, to First John. It's used all throughout the Bible, actually. Sometimes it's translated as contribution. Romans 15, verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. Or, or it can be translated as participation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Or, or even partnership. We're partners in fellowship. Philippians 1, 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Or later in Philippians 3, chapter 10, it's translated as sharing that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share, may fellowship in his sufferings. Or, or it's just translated as fellowship. The most common, known verse, Acts 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And they're sharing everything. They're meeting daily, temple courts in their homes. They're getting food together. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this word fellowship, it's not used very often outside of the church. My guess is most people who are not churched, they think of fellowship with church. Or maybe they think of like the fellowship of the ring. It's just, it's not common in our language today to use the word fellowship. Like, hey, I had the sickest fellowship last night. Or, hey, you want to come over and fellowship tonight? Uh, hey, we're, you know, let's be fellowship friends. It's just, we don't use that word like that. I mean, fellowship is not just a, a church picnic. The fellowship is not just the snacks that we have after church usually. Fellowship is not just the, the greeting that we do, texting a friend or handshakes in the service. It's not waving at somebody as you're driving your car. Jerry Bridges in his awesome book, True Community, the biblical practice of fellowship, he says, in our Christian circles, the word fellowship has come to mean little more than Christian social activity. It may mean the exchange of pleasantries over coffee and cookies at church or the social functions of our high school or campus ministry groups. This is not the meaning of fellowship in the New Testament. The word in Greek is koinonia. Maybe you've seen that in churches before, but it has all of these ideas of partnership or contribution, communion. It's used mostly as the, the, the closest of all human relationships. Intimacy. Contact. Intimate bond. Association. Close 
relationship. So here's how I'm going to define it this morning. Fellowship is close, deep friendships between believers and each other and with God. Fellowship is close. It is people knowing each other. It is you knowing other person and being known by them. You share things with each other. Maybe you share things like food or interests or you hang out with time. Maybe you share money. You help them out when they're in need. But it is also a deep kind of relationship. It's not shallow. It's not just news, weather, sports. It is a depth. And there's two parts to this relationship. There's two ideas in Scripture. There is this idea that you have fellowship between believers, between you, between me. But also we have fellowship with God. Now, come back to our, our text in First John. There seems to be this, this logic almost, this idea of fellowship. Uh, follow this idea if you can. John is writing this, this beginning part with this purpose that his readers will have fellowship with himself and with the apostles, right? Verse three, so that you too may have fellowship with us. He, he then says that he and the apostles have fellowship with God. But he also fleshes God out as God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, hinting at this, this fellowship within the Trinity. So here's the logic. We have fellowship with each other because we have fellowship with God, because God has fellowship within himself. So the fellowship, the close connection community that God has within himself is the ultimate example for us to follow for fellowship. So let's, let's kind of work our way backwards from his arguments. Let's work our way first with the Trinity. This, this fellowship within the Trinity. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to read a portion of what I wrote here because I want to be exact a little bit. Let's just kind of like dunk our heads a little bit into the depth of the Trinity. <laughs> God always has and always will be Trinitarian in nature. In the Old Testament, God is one, and God is the only true God. Yet there are also hints within the Old Testament there's a, a multiplicity to God. And then when you get to the New Testament, the, the multiplicity of God is further defined as a three in oneness. God is one in essence and three in subsistence or persons. There are three persons to God with unique personalities expressed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person is distinct, not being confused with the other, but also each mutually indwells, uh, interpenetrates the other. However, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally, here's a big word, ontologically in their being, they are God. Also, the three 
members of the Trinity have unique tasks or functions. The Father adopts us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit gives us gifts and unifies us. One of the best ways I've seen to illustrate the Trinity is with markers. I've actually got a whiteboard here um, uh, for, my, for my desk, my pulpit. And I drew this earlier up on my desk here. But if you were to take three markers and you were to draw three circles overlapping them. So imagine I take a blue marker and I, I, I draw a circle representing the Father. I then take my red marker and overlap that circle representing the Son. And then take my green marker and overlap that circle representing the Holy Spirit. They're all one circle, but three distinct colors. I can still see on my terrible drawing of a circle on my whiteboard here, all three colors, but they are one circle. God is one, but he is also three, this three in oneness. Bob Thune puts it this way. The Trinity means that God himself is in community. More accurately, God is community, or as we're going to say this morning, God is fellowship. One God, three persons, before all worlds, before any sort of human community existed, there was God dwelling in perfect, loving harmony in his threefold being. I've talked to many of you. I've heard from many of you that you're stuck in your house, stuck with your family in your house. Many of you are homeschooling your kids. If you have a smaller house or apartment, it's just a smaller space you live in together on top of each other. I made a video this last week about my kids not leaving me alone. You can find that on Facebook. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has always been in community, always will be in community, and never tires of himself. He is overjoyed to always be in community, close fellowship with himself. He, he didn't create us because he was bored or lonely. No, that's not why he created us. God has always been and always will be Trinitarian in nature, fellowship in nature, and joyful about who he is. And the amazing, the crazy, the astounding news is that you, I, we are invited in to that fellowship within the Trinity. This is what he's, he's kind of hitting at, saying in 1 John 1, verse 3. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He mentions it later on in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, with, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You can't just make a claim or say that you have true fellowship with the Trinity and then go do dark, terrible things. Or one of the great passages that looks at the fullness of the Trinity, all put together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's talked about with, with, with fellowship. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What does it mean to be invited into a relationship with God and with the Trinity, to have fellowship with God? David Allen puts it best. He says, fellowship with God means we have gone into business with God, that his enterprises are to be our enterprises. Fellowship with God means we share mutual interests, devotion, activity. As Christians in close fellowship with God, his heartbeat becomes our heartbeat. His mission becomes our mission. His goals and plans become our goals and plans. We love what he loves, desire what he desires, hate what he hates, and will what he wills. The Christian life should be an ever-deepening fellowship with God that creates and reproduces within us the mind of Christ. We should be so changed, different by this this relationship that we have with God, this fellowship. You know, one of the last times, I think it was the last time, yeah, that we we actually had full-on church. We had Pastor Arturo come and preach. He's a pastor from Honduras, And in God's providence and timing, (laughs) Pastor Arturo preached on uh, a a little boy sharing his lunch to, what was it, the 5,000, using small gifts in a time of crisis. He taught on using kindness to share the gospel. Now, Pastor Arturo have a lot of, and I have a lot of similar interests, and we're, we're both pastors, but you can tell right away from talking to him that he, he's not from here. <laughs> he, he speaks a different language. He loves soccer and not football. He loves spicy food. I like spicy food, but not as much as Arturo does. You can just tell that he's from somewhere different. But that should be like us, too. You should be able to tell from just talking to us that we're from somewhere different. We have a different relationship that, that we are a part of. And as I've talked to you guys, prayed with you guys, I've heard this similar theme of, of loneliness, feeling isolated during this COVID-19 time. You can't go see your friends. If you can, there's got to be some sort of barrier between you or stand apart or you you see him on a video screen. It's just not the same. But God solves this problem of isolation that is deeper, deeper inside of us than just this time now with his son, Jesus Christ. We all have this yearning that we, we feel isolated. We feel lost And we want community and fellowship with others and with something bigger, a purpose. Back in early January, I met with my my mentor, Tom, and we we did this whole two-day thing together. And one of the exercises was to come up with my, my purpose, my life purpose. And here's what I wrote down. My purpose is to fulfill God's call on my life, to shepherd the flock, with the word of God, 
in joyful confidence, and here's the part that's, I don't always like to share, but surrounded with intimacy. Sometimes we use that word in, in a, you know, one uh, husband-wife context, but we all desire an intimacy. I desire an intimacy, close friendships. God solves this problem of isolation, or as Augustine put it, restlessness. Augustine said, our, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And I ask you who are watching Lighthouse, do you have a relationship with God? Is it thriving and strong? Are you running? Are you soaring? Or has it been kind of put in the back burner in this time? Is it lagging, lacking, lackluster? Finally, we'll be talking about this whole topic, the rest of our, our series, friendship with each other or fellowship. We have, we have fellowship with each other. We have this close, deep friendship with one another. We imitate the Trinity in that. We get to have a relationship with God, but also with each other. Again, another quote that I found really just punctuates this by David Lowe Presti. So God has invited us personally into the community of the Trinity. But here's the really mind-blowing thing. God intends us to experience this divine community in the fellowship of a local church. He saves us as individuals, yes, but he also saves us into communities. We need other believers to draw us back into the fold when we've gone astray. Other believers need us to encourage and spur them on. If we examine all the orders we're given in the New Testament, the one another commands dominate the pages. Living in the community of the local church then is necessary, not optional for your growth in grace. We simply cannot obey one another commands if we're not around. Well, one another. The outside world wants to see this too. A community of people living out Jesus' commands despite their vastly different personalities, music preferences, backgrounds, skin colors, economic statuses, and even football allegiances. I don't know if you were like my family, but you ate up the football draft over the weekend because you were starving for sports. But none of that really matters, right? Because we have an allegiance to Christ. It doesn't matter if I'm a certain sports team fan, you're a different one. We have an allegiance to Christ. And I know, I know there are so many difficulties, hindrances, uh, barriers to this kind of fellowship, deep, close relationship that, that I'm talking about. I mean, we have insecurities, we, we doubt that somebody really wants to get to know us. We, we, we doubt ourselves that we are worth knowing. Technology. I mean, as great as technology has been to be able to talk to people 
it is also a, a, a hindrance sometimes. We're so busy with this app or, or this social media platform or this email that it doesn't really provide the depth of a close relationship or busyness. Well, maybe not right now. You're not so busy. But in the normal life, hopefully we'll go back to, we're so busy. Sports for your kids. Sports for you to watch. <laughs> I mean, your job, your work, at home, all these things that pile on top. Just a lack of time. We're, we're scared of being known. We have too many shallow relationships just in general. Or it's not really modeled for us very well in movies, TV shows, books, whatever. To have close fellowship, where do you see that in the world? I do love in, in Acts chapter 2, that phrase, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It takes intentionality, it takes time, it takes knowing and being known. I, I wrote down eight things that I would say count as this deep friendship relationship idea. Number one is love. A deep fellowship will have love. John 15, verses 12 to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. A deep fellowship connection like that will be encouraging. It'll be compassionate. Communication. Being able to be assertive, to share your feelings, to say what you need, to actively listen, to say back, to understand what that person wants. Honesty. Love, encouraging, encouraging and compassionate communication and honesty, number four. A good friend is honest, even if it hurts. That's something I respect, that they're honest with me. Uh, number five is conflict resolution. A good friend, a close fellowship will never just be uh, bland and stable. There will be ups and downs, a flow to it. You're going to make each other mad. And that's good because you are different. You're learning about each other. And I know, I know in this time, conflict resolution is that much harder when you're talking to someone through a screen. But a good friend seeks to resolve conflict. Number six, accountability. Someone that can be honest with you, tell you what's wrong in your life, the sins that are happening in your life, but ultimately will keep you accountable then to what is right. Number seven, uh, a friend brings us closer to God. And this is where I, I want to, you know, 
diverge a little bit from just this word of friendship that anybody can be friends with anybody and our friendship with each other is the same as friends with non-Christians. No, there is a deeper friendship that believers should have and we should be encouraging each other to grow closer to God. You should be encouraging me, praying for me as I am encouraging and prodding and challenging you to grow closer to God. And number eight, which is, is really important, good friends do nothing together. <laughs> there was one time when I went to a pastor's, um, you know, kind of thank you, uh, closing up, ending his ministry with the whole church there after 40, 50 years. And his small group was there. And they said, one of the best things they did was just to spend time together doing nothing. <laughs> Good friends, even now, can do Zoom calls and video calls and just hang out, do nothing together. Just some tips, too, on, you know, in this whole COVID-19 time period. I mean, do video calls. Write snail mail letters to people. Call somebody every single day. Actually, that's my, that's my challenge for you this next week. My challenge is for you every single day to call one person and check in. Call seven people this next week and just check in with them. Find somebody to confide and confess in, whether it's from six feet apart in your garage or through a Zoom call, and pursue people in this time because as much as you feel isolated, they also feel isolated. At the very end of this section that we've been going through, verse 7, he ends with, with this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's so important that he kind of closes up this idea of fellowship with that because all of this that we've talked about, the, the, the Trinity and the relationship that the Trinity has, that perfection they have, us having a relationship with God, having a relationship with each other, none of that can be possible for us to have a relationship with God, to have a relationship with each other without Christ's blood atoning for us. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As a church, we, we value the gospel. We value deep friendships. And one of our discipleship pathways is to help you find community. If this stirs something in you to come to know Jesus, wonderful, amazing, <laughs> go fill out our, our connection card or text me. Or if you want more community right now, you're just feeling isolated and lacking, text me. <laughs> I'd love to connect with you. What an amazing, I mean, it's just, what an amazing thing that we have. That the God of the universe who made all of us wants to get to know us and be in relationship with us. And to that end, let's pray together.
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I pray to you now and I, I am overwhelmed thinking about that for all eternity you have been in fellowship, community, and just loving it, being overjoyed by it. Lord, so many times my, my fellowship, my friendships, they can seem shallow or I seem shallow and I don't want to connect or be known. But God, you are the one. You're the one who gets to know us. You sent Christ to die on the cross for us when we were still sinners, still angry at you, running away from you. Lord, you stooped down to know us. And so, Father, we confess our faith in you, our trust in you, our belief in Jesus and the blood that cleanses us. And God, would you provide good relationships for us? Even in this time where we're feeling isolated and lonely, God, would you provide some good friends that want to be around us through video or through six feet away or whatever it is, God, be with us. Thank you, God, that you've made us in this way. And I praise you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.